love me some oh. apple jacks yeah i like apple jacks plain i like um i also like when gold- you say plain you mean with no yeah milk just like a snack like just to eat those and like golden grams oh I'll fuck me up some golden grams yeah because you can't put golden <laughs> grams in milk because they get too soggy so here's this is very this is actually very important to me to talk about and we'll get back to like the theater stuff, <laughs> which is why I started recording, because this is this hits my soul deeply. Um, we are a cereal family. I have childhood friends that still comment about how many cereal boxes I have on a regular. I actually, which is controversial, I'm going to be honest with you. I pour my milk in first. Get out of here! How do you I gauge do. that? So that the milk cereal in first. floats on top and doesn't get all soggy. So I can pour in as much as I know as the time I'm allotting for it to sink and get wet to uh, eat it, and then I'll pour the second half in. So it would normally be a one bowl of cereal, but I'm making sure that I always have crunchy pieces to my last bite. Final question. Do you drink the milk of your cereal? Depends on the cereal, but only no. if it's Only if it's Cocoa Pebble. There you go, because then you're okay. chocolate milk. Yeah. Right. Right. The correct answer was never. Oh. Moms are too. <laughs> All right. So we are talking about theater with the beautiful Ted Tobin or Tobin? Tobin, right? Tobin. Tobin. Yeah, Tobin. Yeah, that's what I thought. And he's so beautiful. Tobin. He's so beautiful, and we love him so much. Ted was in Mamma Mia. He was one of the dads. Doesn't matter which one. He was in – no, I'm kidding. He was actually the dad. I was about to say, he was the dad. Yeah, he's the one. So if you haven't seen the movie or if you don't know the play, we're not going to tell you which dad he was, but if you know, you know, and he was what – he is the dad. Um, And you were fantastic. Your comedy time is, is impeccable. Your singing voice is of pure gold. And your no ability to tap, too, because not only do you have that com- comedic timing, but you have a, a, a beautiful way of being able to get in touch with, you know, the emotion of the, of the moment. And even for musical theater, where sometimes it can be big and it can be, I don't know, stylized, mm-hmm. you, you really personalize that character and um, had some beautiful moments that I, I don't all you know, often the, see with the, that show. The interesting thing about that show for me as an actor, uh, like I had taken a 30 year break from doing theater and then I came back and I think uh, Mama Me was like the fourth show I've done since I came back to theater. Um, and that show in particular reminded me how to listen um, more than anything else um, because I had... I, I was very much a listener. Bill is a very much a listener character. He, mm-hmm. he interacts with a, a bunch of other people who are basically pouring their hearts out to him. Mm-hmm. And um, it reminded me, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm supposed to be listening here, <laughs> right? So, and um, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a reactionary actor a lot of times. So... Uh, I will hear something and then I will make some sort of audible noise that I don't know I'm making. And it sort of fills up the space, you know, it, it, it kind of fills up like uh, the space of the scene a little bit more. Um, but half the time, yeah. I don't know I'm doing it. So, Yeah. Charlie does that while he's eating. He moans while he's eating. It's, <laughs> it's not annoying at all. My hairdresser moans while she's washing my hair. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, mm. 
Well, she's a giver. Yeah, I guess. She's a giver. I'm over there going, I wish I felt as good as you do. Right she's now. also, yeah, clearly doing happy endings to others that you're not getting. <laughs> she's good at her job. She is. Um, so, Ted, you said you took a 30-year break. So we're going to talk about our theater uh, coming up. But I want to hear a little bit about you. We want to hear about why was there a 30-year break and what were you doing and what are you doing now? So I grew up in the theater. I started doing shows when I was 10. Um, mm-hmm. I had an evil stepmom who said that I was melodramatic. So she put me in theater. Um, and Not so yeah, evil. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I did about 80 productions from the time I was 10 to the time I was 27. And the worst thing that I ever did for my acting career was move to LA. It, it was, it was the death (laughs) of my acting career Uh, because I started auditioning for a film and for uh, movies and TV and, and things like that. And um, I quickly realized a, I didn't like being on set. And B, it was the uh, live aspect of doing theater that I really liked. The idea that anything could happen and that you could uh, uh, screw up or you got to save something or somebody um, that I really, really enjoyed. Um, And so I kind of moved away from acting uh, and I guess I decided I wanted stuff. I wanted to own. I wanted to own stuff, right? I wanted to have a car and and food, you know, other Aww. things that actors don't get. What a sellout! So, yes, exactly. So I, I had an eighteen year career in movie marketing where I did uh, movie trailers. I made the movie trailers for Star Wars and Avengers and all sorts of Disney. Uh, As an editor, I did. I ran the division. Um, okay. so I started as a copywriter and then I moved into producing and then eventually they said, well, you're in charge. And so that's kind of what happened. Nice. Um, and that was all encompassing. I mean, it took me morning, noon and night. I would, I would start work at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning and sometimes not be done till midnight and working weekends. So I basically traded all my friends for, for money basically. I mean, that's, well, that's kind of, <laughs> that's both of our husbands started out that way too. They, they had a company called creative asylum and they were doing movie marketing and, and trailers and stuff. And, and they honestly, they were, you know, Matt is still in a way doing it because he's, he work the, the hours just don't end. So if yeah, you're in marketing yeah. or yeah, it's especially that hours. kind of like when you're doing, uh, I don't know, just especially but he does stuff with like Netflix and Hulu. And, and when you've got, you're doing big marketing campaigns for that, especially video for digital marketing. And it's the same thing. You're producing an entire from start to finish big productions, you know, uh, just for marketing. Um, Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until the pandemic, I finally saw my husband for the first time in 12 years. Like, cause he was, you know, the 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 funny thing is the reason why, the reason why I succeeded in that business was that um, I never really wanted it. Right. I never really Mm. wanted that to be my thing. So it allows you when you have nothing to lose, you have this sense of freedom. Right. Did you take more chances and do other things? Because, you know, everybody like you're working with big time directors, J.J. Abrams and all sorts of whatever. But in your back of your mind, you're like, no, 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 I was supposed to be a famous actor. So all of this is meaningless. Right, 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 right. 
I got nothing to lose because this isn't success. What I right. deemed a success my whole childhood is something completely different. So it allowed me to to go at this thing wholeheartedly with nothing to lose. And it turned into 18 years, which is uh, was shocking to me. Melanie, That's weren't incredible. you talking about you? some? Sorry, yeah. weren't you saying something about that, though, with like your how you're feeling with um, you were not booking because you want it for the wrong yeah, reasons or something? Or what were you talking about? I, I think. So, so I know that before I left LA, I was going through something where I was booking a ton. I was at like an 80% booking rate, which is crazy. And it's because I was going in and I was just myself and it was great. And I was just having fun and da 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 da. And then I started booking and this thing happened to me where I was like, oh my God, I have to book. And I would be on set somewhere and I would call my manager and be like, Deborah Lynn, I, I, I'm nervous about what I'm missing. And she's like, you need to stop. You're actually on set working. You cannot worry about the auditions you're – because this is all back before, you know, COVID stuff too, back in like 2009 where it was all in person. So if you weren't in person, that was it. And so I was mis- I was nervous and she would actually tell me there would be weeks where I was like, all right, I did this and this and this and this and this. And she's like, all right, now you do nothing. For five days you do nothing. Because I just was trying to keep up. And I remember talking to a friend of mine uh, at the time, Barry Watson, who was a a really well-known actor. And he was doing a show making 80 grand an episode. Maybe I shouldn't say how much he made. Making 80 grand an episode. And he was like, and I was like, but Barry, when when do you feel like you're a success? And he's like, never. It's never going to be enough. I'm at a point where I'm on this show for the first, you know, 15 years of my career. And then I take a break, have a family and I come back and I'm working with on Samantha who making all this money. And it's still, I'm, I'm scared every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Brooke. I think I totally sidetracked your question, but yes, if you go at something like you have nothing to lose. And I think with my acting, I started to get too focused on booking and not enjoying the process which is why I started this in the first place like what you were saying Ted is you were in something that didn't feel like it was anything except you were doing you were you were doing it really well and did you miss in that time your acting stuff like film acting or did you already know that I genuinely just don't like to be on set I'll do it because I want to be famous or I want to make the money or I want to be on a, you know, a series regular or whatever, but what in that time that you were working, did you feel like you were missing out or did you feel like how did yeah, how did you feel? So it's it's interesting. I I um uh, you know, you can you can struggle all your life and the truth about Hollywood is that you know, you could be a success tomorrow no matter what age you are and how far you go and it, it it's still it's still going to be true forever, but at a certain point, I decided, and this is gonna, this is the writer in me who wrote this a long time ago. But um, I decided that uh, I was gonna stop trying to be larger than life, and I was gonna start living life. Um, so uh, at that point, that was freeing. That's when I could let go of everything. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have to be a famous person. I just had to do the work and enjoy doing the work. To me, success is when Kaylee, who was in the show, uh, came to me after the show and said, I love being on stage with you. I trust you. And, and uh, uh, you know, you give me so much. That's success. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is this, not even the applause or the laughs or whatever. That yeah. is success to me. Yeah. Um, w- w- because then I can feel pride in the fact that I've done 
I've done a good job. See, okay, so let me ask you a question because something I feel that when I when I was younger and I started very young like you did and I was doing theater and then I got um, harsh critics as I got into high school and I had a, a teacher that didn't like my, my, my singing voice or whatever it is. So I had all these things. And so when I was going, I knew that it was in me and so I wanted to do it and I love doing it. But I think part of the reason that I wanted to come out here and do it was for dirty reasons. It was to have a legacy of being on a show. Look what she was able to do despite all of these other things. And then I started working on sets. I did a, a movie with um, – what's his name? Ryan Ryan Gosling and uh, – what's the other guy's name? Who's the – he's amazing. Anyway, doesn't matter. He was in um, the one with – Oh. That guy. The Fava yeah. Beans? And a good Fa- Fava beans. Oh, Anthony right. Hopkins? Oh, my God. Tony Hopkins. Hello, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> so I was on set for like three days with them, and I had to do like a bedroom scene with, with Ryan Gosling and like this whole thing, and and I was so fucking bored. I was so bored. And I was talking to my dad at the time, and I was like, this just feels really boring to me. And he was like, what? This is crazy. But I started to realize, and this is actually very, very close to before we we moved to Panama. And Charlie was like, are you sure you're okay leaving? And I'm like, yeah, like, I don't like being on set. And so now I think I still have that legacy in my brain. And the fact that money sometimes in acting is so easy because it's like five days and a hundred thousand dollars or your day rate's 10 grand or whatever it is. But there's something that's missing for me that I found in theater when we were in Panama that now that's really all Brooke and I want to do. And we want to now leave our legacy here, like with our family and within L.A., making a change in L.A. theater where the legacy is it's the big hug. Well, and I think the legacy, too, is also look for the same reasons. I mean, the theater is something that we as a species have been. Uh, you know, creating and doing as a form of storytelling and catharsis for thousands of years. And to be a part of something like that or feel so compelled. uh, I mean, it's somewhat insane that we choose to do this work. And, you know, that I think that I feel the same way legacy wise coming into, you know, the theater that we worked together at previously that was like at the time it was 50 years old and we went in there and injected new life into it and brought it back. Same way I feel with this theater that's hitting its 50th year mark uh, coming out of COVID post pandemic, if that's what we're kind of in right now, giving it a supercharge and feeling like, because it's a legacy and it's not so much my legacy as it is the craft, the legacy of the craft right? for me at this point. And I feel the same way. I feel like I got into it because I was doing big things where I was at and, you know, I'm going to get my chips and, you know, get, get into it. Um, And then I think over an evolution of time, you just start to realize what's important. And I feel my most happiest and my most alive when I'm in the theater, you know, I, you know, we're working. So, so here's, here's the thing. It's like, and I'll give you a little 60 year old wisdom here. Um, There are no, there are no dirty reasons. There are no dirty reasons ever. Uh, if you want to do this business, if you want to do all of it to get rich and famous, more power to you. That's great. I'm, I'm all for it. 
That's not a bad reason to do something. I think that's a fine reason to do something. Um, your reasons have changed now. Your priorities have changed and the things that you want and make you happy have changed. So if that made you happy before, I'm all for it. Uh, if somebody says, oh, I want to be an actor because I want to get, you know, I want to buy a huge mansion and blah, blah, blah. And I want people fawning all over me because I enjoy that. Great. More power to you. I'm not going to hang out with you, but I mean, more, more power <laughs> to you. <laughs> but see, and that's, that's something because one of the things I started to realize, especially after coming off a of stage and, and being on stage in Panama a little bit is I'm super judgmental of myself. And so I don't like when people talk about me in a negative way. I want to make everybody happy. And so I don't know if I have it in my my being of stars that are all put stardust together that I could ever be a celebrity because I, I would cry all the time if, if I had to put up something on Instagram every day, or if I had to have people look at me and know that I have a thumb head or like all of these things that they could say about me or baby's faces <laughs> on things your knees. That- I have baby faces on my knees, Ted. Literal. Ted, I'll, t- I'll actually faces. send you a picture because uh, Matt she took a picture of her when she was at, uh, on opening night uh, for Mama Mia and was talking and or someone else was talking and Matt sent me the picture and I go, oh, she does have baby's faces on her knees. Baby faces. They're you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to have uh, your knees have their own Instagram page. Oh, oh my God. Yes. If yeah, I wasn't yeah. so lazy, but I, I might look into this. Because we can't I, even I get, get our own. We can't even do our own Instagram page. Let alone we need <laughs> another one. I will. You know what, though? Brooke, will you be mad if I dedicate my life to my baby, my baby niece Instagram page and, and mom's art too goes. Only like, if I get to anything. like, you know, dress him up and, and put a little yes. bonnet on it or. Yes, you can. Okay. You don't know what will go viral. You have no idea what will go viral. That's true. And how many people have baby faces on their knees? Probably everybody, and nobody I, pays attention. I only know. I only know one person, and that's me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not self conscious about it at all. So I can actually have people ridicule my baby needs as long as they're not ridiculing like the face. You're the acting. Shape of my face. <laughs> just, oh, just fuck that! I'm a good my actor. craft. Just make There's fun of no, my body. Yeah. That's the thing. And then that's the thing is like, even like when you know you're good at something, you just know you're good at something. And so no matter somebody's opinion or how they feel or whatever it is, like you don't take any of that. But if you have a doubt in something, whether it be your looks or your personality, or I can be a little overbearing and loud. And, and when people call me out on that, I feel very self-conscious about it. Cause I also know it's something I have to work on. And, but with my acting and directing, if anybody like in our situation at that other theater, when somebody called me out on something and I was like, no, I know that's not true. Like Ted, you were saying with your being, you know, somebody questioning your acting, you're like, this isn't, this This isn't isn't up for debate questioning. (laughs) Yeah. No, because it's just not because Mm -hmm. you're just a good actor. You are a good singer. You're just a really good listener on stage. And that's never going to go. But 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 listen to this, though. I mean, I think this is important, too, is that the three of us, we know when we suck. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that is true. Right. Right? Yeah. We we know when we suck. Yeah. Right. So uh, if somebody says, oh, you sucked," and I go, yeah, yeah, that night I did. I sucked. Yeah. But if you tell me that on a night where I didn't. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, you're not going to believe them. And I'm going to tell you what, when when Brooke and I talk about the things that we want to change in L.A. theater, and I think, you know, the difference between New York and L.A. is the standards in New York are so high because that's where you go to be on Broadway. But I don't, right. we talk about, we don't understand why L.A. theater is considered not good anymore. There is good theater here. And I think if one of the things we've talked about is that teaching people when they suck and it's okay that you suck. And also like one of the things that Brooke and I are trying to do here is incorporate a lot more directors into our work so that they know they're valid. And they also know that being a director means you don't have ego. We should right. have the, the, the least amount of ego in the room because our job is to build everyone else up. And so having other directors come in and never feel like we're being pounced on because another director is giving us more eyes the better like if you don't have ego with what you're doing and you really want just what's best for the work and for the theater and for your actors that's all that should matter so we are inviting theater or, or directors in to watch the upcoming show any future show so people know that it's a completely welcome community and then maybe that will raise everyone else's standards because we're listening to each other and it feels like LA is very mine, 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 mine. And then you're never going to get better. So when I did um, uh, movie trailers and things like that, and I ran the division, um, I, one of the things I did is I surrounded myself with good people that made me look good. Um, and I did that uh, on purpose. And then my mentor in that business actually taught me that it's much more important for me to give credit to everybody else than to take it for myself because you're at the head of the monster. And when you're at the head of the monster, everything reflects on you. And it doesn't matter. Like people are always going to go back and reflect on you. So when I'm directing theater, I want to surround myself with people who are going to make me look good. Mm -hmm. I want to help them get to where they're going. And then when somebody says, Hey, that's a great show. I say it's all because of them. And mm -hmm. I do that every single time without fail because everything reflects back on me. And I would much rather they advance their careers because in the long run, I am much happier person when I've helped somebody get where they want to go, not where I want to go. Yes. That's like trying to take credit for your kids. Like your, your child is so sweet. Well, that's because I. No, it's not fucking about you. I don't wear pantyhose. I just don't. Look, I either find them in an egg or at a 20-something store and then I start to pull them up and play tug-of-war to get them on my legs and then my finger goes through them because they're thin and cheap and then I just end up ripping them off, putting on a pair of pants. Anyone else? Well, you don't have to do that anymore because I found Leg Appeal. Leg Appeal is a specialty retail and e-commerce store focused exclusively on leg apparel, tights, Nylons, fishnets, socks, leggings, thigh highs, and garters. Leg Appeal offers a wide variety of the highest quality and stylish European manufactured leg apparel in classic, trendy, couture, and intimate styles at competitive prices. So you no longer have to own cheap hose. You just don't. Did I say cheap hose? <laughs> Hosiery. Okay? You don't have to do it. You can go to shoplegappeal.com. You pick out which tights you want. If you have any questions, they will actually help you out. They will talk to you. They will tell you what's best for you. I ordered two pairs that came in this adorable box. 
Uh, they fit like a glove. They're super thick. The material is really high quality. You could also visit them at their boutique in Chicago, Illinois, if you're there. They have a really cute store. So I'm telling you, ditch the eggs, shoplegappeal.com. Get your European tights at a competitive price. You won't regret it. Shoplegappeal.com. Remember those red monkeys that hooked arms? Yeah. Oh, monkey, monkey so in a barrel. Isn't that what it was? The monkey in a yeah. barrel. Because we make sure that, you know, we have people that have taken care of us and have taught us and have kicked our butts and made us better. And, and I'm still learning sure from. We're... Still to this day. Yes. Yeah. Each other and yeah. Ted and people that are even at our peers, our equals, we we question each other. We We make sure that we're open to being questioned. Like I've told, you know, we, but we also bring people with us and we've, Brooke and I say this all the time, I will, I'm never going to be offended if you question my, my decision yeah. ever as a director, because either I've really thought this out and I feel like this is, there's a really like succinct reason why I'm doing this or your idea is better. Yeah. And that's what I want to do. Like they're just, there cannot be an ego as a director. That's the point. You just hit it uh, on, on the head. So if I'm directing somebody and I say, can you try it this way and see what happens? And they go, no, I don't feel it. Then I've got a problem, right? But right. if they say, well, you know what? I won't try it that way, but that inspires me to try it this way. Can you look at that? Then that's right. the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. Th then you've provided something that got them thinking and got them to a place where they want to be. And I'm I'm 100% with that. But if somebody just shuts you down and goes, no then that's, that's a problem. And you can usually catch that in auditions because you can, you know, bring something up or talk about something, even if it has nothing to do with acting and you can have those, those little red flags, like kind of bring themselves up. But even as a director, like your job is to um, make sure that everybody in the room is thinking and you're supporting all of their ideas because actors have to be selfish they have to be selfish. They have to look and pull and and find things within themselves, however, whatever their process is. And so our job is to just be the best communicators in the room. Yeah. And, you know, you 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 brought these actors in because they they themselves provided something to the character that you liked. So yeah. I think I always look at it as like I'm a I'm just like a facilitator for your for your work. So mm -hmm. you come in and you bring to me what you think this is and I will shape and mold it and, and also give you, obviously if it, the stakes aren't high enough, yes, we, we question that and figure out what would be a stronger choice. But at the same time, I think I'm finding that out with this play too, that I, I'm directing True West and uh, while it's well known and it's always done a certain way and you can always know who Lee is and you know who Austin is and, um, it's interesting because uh, the actors have brought so much to these characters that I'm actually seeing them differently. Um, and I love it. So the character of Lee is not as um, hardcore and like cutthroat as a lot of productions put him because my Lee, while he, it can be scary. He's, he's also has very likable qualities. And I think that, I think that that, 
I'm allowing that actor to do that because, uh, and then finding where his edges are and where he gets dangerous. Um, and I think Mel, you put it so well as to say, uh, you don't know, it can't be dangerous if you didn't trust them first or something. Didn't you say something like that? Like, yeah, you know, they can't yeah. be dangerous until you've given them some trust and then they turn it on you. And uh, so I think it's, that's what it's about. It's, it's about trusting your actors, allowing them to show you what they want to bring to this. And then you just have to mold it and shape it and make sure that the tempo and everything is going right to the overall production. But right? as the director, you are good at Brooke, you and Ted, I know how you work. So I'm assuming you, I haven't seen you direct, but I, I know how you work on stage. You're good at being the facilitator by, having by being a good communicator and opening doors and opening ideas and opening those little things in their brain but you're also you don't have as much of an ego to make sure that your first idea going in when you first read the play and came up with all your blocking isn't the last step it's listening to your actors and finding and finding and finding and finding and understanding that they're coming in with their own ideas and they're going to open your mind and like to things you didn't even know existed within those characters. Yeah. And the, the, the number one, the number one thing I bring to directing and it happens every single time. The number one thing I bring is passion. I bring passion, right? So I go up and I go, Hey, do you want to try this? And they can see it in my eyes and I'm excited about this idea, but it lets them go. Oh yeah, no, I I want to I want to buy into it. I want to give it a try. And if it doesn't work, they get that passion. They get that feeling. If it's a drag, if it's mm-hmm. a drag, you're gonna get a drag performance. Period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. But in that, you're creating the monkey system. You're you're giving them this amazing thing where you're saying, "I'm really excited about that," and then they grab onto it and they feel safe with you. Because you make them feel safe that they're willing to explore as well, which then in turn is going to give you ideas. So like all of that connectivity instead of there's a lot of directors that not only I've worked with, but I've seen where they put up this wall and they're literally during rehearsals, the fourth wall is up where the director's sitting on the outside in the, in the, in the, in the chairs, yelling shit at his actors or her actors. Rarely is it a her. I'm going to tell you what, because women just don't fucking direct like this, but yelling at their actors and the actors are on stage do do I make a change do I want to discover do I fight back on things that I feel uncomfortable with like at at the highest level there's a show going on out here at the biggest stage in in our city out here Ted that actors don't like how it's being directed and they're scared to say anything and it's like this and this is the head of the academy and I'm like going oh my god like how is this the standard how are these people the ones that are getting all the work Have you ever realized in a moment of boredom that you need to have a new furry comforter right now? Well, I have. And that's why I love and I'm so grateful for Wish.com. They have everything from kids clothes and face masks to hair extensions and Jeep Wrangler accessories. They have vampire teeth, string lights, and plant seeds. I was skeptical at first, but when I found my much-needed outdoor shower bath tent and women's travel urinal, I was sold. Just make sure to look at the reviews with photos before you buy. Wish items may take no less than 48 days to arrive at you or your neighbor's door. Ugh, I love Wish.com.
starting a theater that's that's a dream i mean that's a that's our dream that's a dream yeah that's a dream to be able to uh to do that to have that family be your own uh to create uh the theater pieces all the time and the culture uh, and be a part of the culture yeah. that we want much like you just said you surround yourself with the right people that always make you look good you know, I, I, that's, that's the kind of space I want to be in. Well, that's the thing when I took the 30 year break, I mean, I came back and then I met, uh, I started doing shows again and, and then I went, Oh crap, these people get me, mm-hmm. you, you know, they, mm-hmm. they get who I am. And like, I've missed this. Mm-hmm. Well, we only did one show with you with... and I get you. Like, I, I, I feel like I've known you forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's also understanding that there's going to be people in there that you don't necessarily get along with that you may have to be on stage with, and it's learning how to get along well with others. And that's not something you have to learn outside in the real world, but you do have to in theater because it's just the way. I mean, or you just kick them out of the cast. (laughs) Well, no, but the beauty of that is that you don't have to get along with the person. You only have to get along with the character. Right. Right. That's what I was about to say. Right. We all are playing pretend pretty well. When I work with you two is uh, Brooke, uh, like I, I would, I immediately took to Brooke um, and then I feared you um, because <laughs> you were going to, you were going to make me dance, right? Oh well, yeah, that's understood. I understand. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. You were going to, you were going to make me dance so, and Brooke wasn't going to make me dance. So I was like <laughs> all on board with that. But I will tell you what. As a choreographer, though, you have to be able to, you can make anyone can dance, anyone. I have seen it. I have seen people come in that have don't have two feet in front of them. And any, if you can walk, you could dance. That is it. That is just Okay. It. Wait, no, I want to ask this question because mm-hmm. I've, I've never asked this. So here it is. Okay. So we're in auditions. You're auditioning people for a, a musical. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you line people up to see if they have two left feet or whether they can move or whatever. How, what's your thought process? Like, tell me your thought process of like, okay, I need to see if these, if they have no rhythm whatsoever. What? Three things. Willing to try, willing to learn and chemistry. That's it. Everybody can dance. Everybody in the world can dance. That's it. You are either willing to learn, you're (laughs) willing to try, because if you're willing to try and you can't do it, I will either teach you to do it or I'll change it so it looks good on you. That's my job. Which is why there was a lot of changing of the choreography in Mamma Mia. (laughs) Which is why there was, I wasn't given the option necessarily to pick my own uh, chorus members or people that needed to be long or whatever it was. And so I, we changed choreography because there were, we had three things. We had fun chemistry, people willing to learn, but people not willing to try. And that was it. So I was able to teach Got them it. what they were willing to learn, but I couldn't. Okay. So if I go into, so if I go into a mute, an audition for a musical, and we get to the dance portion, which, you know, I, I'm hoping I have killed the singing and I have killed the read at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm hoping for. But the key thing for me to do then in, an, in a dance audition 
is to give it my all with a smile on my face and try every step, even if I screw it up. Yes is the answer to that. And number two is as long as I'm choreographing. (laughs) Because I'll tell you what, no, that's, but you should still work your skill because not every choreographer is going to be that way. And there might be people that come in that is a total asshole, but the choreographer and the director are totally different people. And they think I only want the best, best dancer. I don't even get, care if he's a dick. So it, 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 you have to, you, have, you all, even as an actor anywhere, you have to research your director. You have to research your choreographer. You have to know how they, like we have to put, as actors, we have to put in the work. We just do. But yes, for you who isn't necessarily like ballet structured trained, you need to go in there and be willing to learn, be willing to try and be, have great chemistry. You give it every, you, every audition needs to be a performance, period. Even if you just learn the choreography and you fuck it up, every audition needs to be a performance. Opening night. End of story. That's it. I always, um, the thing with me and, and dance auditions is uh, I, I may suck in the audition with the movement, but I, will, I always get there. I will always get there. And sometimes it takes me longer. We can see that. That comes yeah. through. That comes through just by the way you're willing to learn, by your attitude. None of that is going to go away just because you miss a few steps or you don't have, a, you know, a pas de beret like everybody else. That's that that has nothing to do with it. Right. Yeah. Well, I have an awesome turnout, by the way. Just just so people know. Yeah. I mean, I can't show you here because it's sort of a head and shoulder shot, but it's right. it's pretty it's pretty terrific. Luckily, we can't see that you have no pants on either. <laughs> That would be a really interesting turnout. I think we should do that for the rest of every episode is no one's allowed to wear a pants. I'm not wearing Just to any make pants. us all feel better. Yeah. Well, mine are buttons. All right, buttons. Mr. Ted, I'm going to stop recording because I feel like I've squeezed you dry, but we still want oh. to talk to you about other things. We still is that okay? Thank are you, you okay? Yeah, do you have anything I mean, more I, to I... say to give to the world? God, God no. I, I – uh... I'm just thank you for thinking of me and um yeah this is fun. We'll, we'll probably you have you back you on. You're going to kind of be yeah. a recurring uh, man days. We only have so many men in our lives that we I want hope, to interview so I you'll hope, be reoccurring just so you know. I hope I'm interesting enough to 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 uh to warrant that. Hey look, you that's the question we ask ourselves every week. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like who wants to fucking listen to us? Um, where can we find you? What do you have coming up next that we can promote? Nothing. I have nothing. Okay. I have a lot of nothing. I'm doing it wholeheartedly. Um, yeah. Moms are too. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Moms Art 2. We hope you are inspired and able to laugh along the way. You can listen to us at momsart2.com or anywhere you get your podcast.